Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we all? My God, it's hot. I had to have the aircon on until the last, we've got a little unit over there, the last minute before we came on. My God, so hot. And I was getting even hotter watching the girls uh, do, the, do their curly cooks. Did you watch curly cooks, guys? Did you enjoy it? Did you have fun? Lovely dishes that I get. Sorry for me. If uh, if you're listening on podcast, this I'm I'm back referencing a cookery show that Nadia and Dina do on um, on our YouTube channel, and uh, they were making a cheesecake, and then they were fighting the crack. They were pushing against the crack uh, of a cheesecake, and for me, a crack is what makes a cheesecake. But then perhaps I'm coming at it from a photographic perspective, which is when you get a crack, it's a fissure, and in the fissure, you get contrast, and in contrast, it makes a nice shot. Um, so there we go. Uh, Faith Goodwin, Goodman, did anyone see that in showbiz news, Strictly partnerships have been leaked? And Married at First Sight UK, three of them have already been on TV before. Oh, mate. Nothing, nothing is secret anymore, is it? Um, Polly Raman, I'm a silent sub, love cheesecake. Oh, lots of love, lots of love, Polly. We love our silent subs. Um, I hope everyone is well. Um, fighting the crack, says Francisca Bastos. Um, so uh, if everyone could send a, a nice big hug and send their love to Nanny Dye. She's not feeling particularly well at the moment. She's, uh, the heat is getting to her. She, uh, she's going through uh, sort of all sorts of kind of uh, checks and stuff on her health and what have you. But she's fine, but she's not, she's not feeling 100%, um, you know, like many, like, you know, like Teddy. Teddy isn't feeling great. Uh, you know, our elders are, you know, you know, going through changes in their lives. So just to just to give you a flag, just a flag up, um, Nanny died. But you'll see her. She was in she's in um, last night's home time uh, and she's always she's always great value. I think I made a jump out of her skin. I think I might have to stop making a jump out of her skin quite so much. But anyway, big hugs to Nanny Dye. Um, everyone's thinking of her, loving her. I know lots of you are missing her. Um, but just to give you some context, she's just she's just getting to a little bit of a point. I think the heat just really kind of amplifies anything that you're feeling particularly peaky or pikey, pikey or, or not particularly nice. You know, if you're not feeling strong, if you're not feeling 100%, if you've got these kind of, you know, just, I mean, I felt dizzy this morning and I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a Joe Wicks nut. So imagine if you're not. Uh, Lee Doran. Uh, and for those, again, of you listening on podcast, Nanny Dye is my mother. Uh, she's a huge part of the channel and she's much, much loved by all of you. And she feels the love. Look at that. Everyone's messages there saying, get well, Nanny Die, get well, sending you love, sending you love, sending you love. And of course, she's so frustrated because she wanted to be here with um, with us all for, for Teddy's. I mean, Teddy's had celebration after celebration after celebration. I remember when I was young, my mum used to have a birthday. It used to be like a birthday week, not just a birthday day. Um, and, uh, and, and, and now it's spread. Teddy's got birthday weekends. So we're, we're, there are some birthday celebrations happening here. I've got a I've got a hazelnut coffee there, which is incredibly, oh Christ, incredibly fragrant. Okay, so let's have a look at the news today, shall we? Um, oh God, it's you know we start serious and we get light. Um, I'm going to start with this story. I just want to know what you think about this. Uh, the Sun is reporting BBC U-turn on Jimmy Savile drama. Do you think the uh, the BBC should be making a BB? Uh, a, a, the Jimmy Savile drama at all. This is the one with Steve Coogan starring in it. Um, yeah, there's talk that they're kind of, they keep sort of holding off 
on the broadcast of this because I think there's a fear that it's going to end up being more a biopic, that's what the piece is saying here, than necessarily a sort of, you know, uh, an opportunity to... I mean, I, you see, the thing is, I don't really understand what can this drama do that shouldn't have been done in the real world? I, you know, how can they hold him to any more account? How can they, how can it not be seen as a dramatic, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm for everything should be made about everything. But I just wonder whether this, um, <laughs> Elliot Gonzalez, this goes on and on. Do follow Elliot, I talk telly, brilliant Instagram account, website, Twitter. Um, Elliot Gonzalez says, either air it or don't. I personally think it's bad taste. Yeah, I mean, I am not of the opinion that anything should not be allowed to be made about anything. I think, I think you know, there should be no sort of censorship. But then I do think that around something like this, the question has to be asked, you know, if the, if the drama is actually about uncovering how the BBC screwed up and that perhaps it's is it a mere culpa, a sort of an opportunity for them to sort of fall on their sword and, and, and really take ownership, Maybe there's an argument, but I don't see how you can ever argue making a drama about anything isn't about opportunizing or take or, or, or not monetizing, but you know, tr trying to sort of yeah exploit a drama for other purposes. Um, Reese Roberts says, "Always the uncomfortable line of showcasing a monster or serial killer, whereby audience can end up developing an unhealthy obsession or sometimes even fandom towards the subject." I agree. I mean, I don't know what you think, Reese, about this. I mean, there's a similar suggestion. I know uh, Nadia was talking to someone the other day about the idea that sometimes, you know, yeah, Top Boys are really successful, you know, but if there is only a certain type of kind of drama that represents a certain type of... So, for example, the, the argument around Top Boy, what I'm trying to say about Top Boy is there's the suggestion in some quarters that, you know, the constant sort of delivery of, of brilliantly acted, brilliantly shot, brilliantly made shows... But if they always keep sort of like they get the they, the ones that sort of come from or, or focus on culturally, you know, certain areas of our society, if they only home in on drugs and if they only home in on gangs and all that kind of stuff, does it glamorize those worlds? In this instance, what I'm, I'm wondering is, you're right, does, you know, like the Dharma effect, does it end up making sort of a, a, a creating a notoriety that distances the viewer from what actually this character did so that any amount of playing him or immortalizing him in drama somehow mythologizes him and actually removes the sense that he actually had an impact on real people. I, th I, I think it's dangerous. Um, Lee Doran, absolutely. Top Boy is fictional, but I do, I do think there is a strong argument. For example, my, the reason I thought Rye Lane was such a great film was we need more films that, to put it bluntly, reflect what it means to be young and black, principally, uh, that aren't just about gangs and drugs. And I'm not suggesting that that is all there is. But when you get these series, which are excellent, by the way, the kids absolutely love them, um, I think when something like Ray Lane comes along, which completely is about something completely different, it's brilliant. So, I mean, th there's no parallel between the two things, but I'm in terms of how dramas can change people's attitudes or can, um, you know, support, uh, if you like, prejudiced attitudes, I think is really, really interesting. Um, Reese, yeah, Top Boy unfortunately falls into that Venn diagram of being entertaining but making gang violence and crime tantalising simultaneously. YouTube is an opportunity for the BBC to show up how too many people turn a blind eye, same as with the baby murderer nurse recently. I mean, if it's that, that's great. If it is an opportunity to kind of showcase how they failed, then I think that's 
I think that's excellent uh, and would be good, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, as we know, schools are falling everywhere. Schools are falling down around us. Uh, you know, uh, aero bars, schools made of aero bars, but we've also discovered that the theatres uh, are coming down too. I think one of the theatres that Nads was in has, has had to be closed, I think. Is it Cardiff or something? Um, lots and lots of theatres have, have, have been discovered to be made of the same uh, RAAC uh, stone. Um, airports, uh, Heathrow and Gatwick having to monitor their, their areas. I mean, you know, I mean, quite literally, the country is falling down. It's, it's becoming ridiculous, literally falling down. Hear Toffee snoring in the background. Fragrant, fragrant hazelnut coffee there. Um, for those of you of a certain age, i.e. my age, Mike Yarwood passed away. Mike Yarwood was a uh, impersonator. Uh, he kind of was the precursor, in a sense, to someone like Rory Bremner, that many of you probably, possibly don't know either. Um, he died at the age of 82. Uh, he used to have something called the Mike Yarwood Show. And uh, back in the day, on, it says here on his Christmas Day audience, on, on Christmas Day in 1977, he got an audience of 21.4 million viewers. You've got to, you've got to marvel at the size of the viewership back then. It's not that there aren't that many viewers. There are, but no individual show ever can score that kind of number in, anymore, unless it's like a big event, like, unfortunately, the, you know, the Queen's funeral. Uh, he had an exceptional ability to mimic. He did Prince Charles. He did uh, Harold Wilson, Ronnie Corbett. He was a, he was a mainstay. Mike Yarwood show was very popular in its day, says Elizabeth Gordon. Absolutely. Um, yes, and sorry, I, I haven't paid reference to, but of course, yeah, there has been a horrendous earthquake in, in Morocco, um, tra tragic earthquake in Morocco. Um, so that's Mike Yarwood, who tragically has passed away at the age of 82. Um, boys don't cry. Well, at least not in front of their friends. Apparently this weekend, is it this Sunday? I think this Sunday it might be, yeah, it's World Suicide Prevention Day this Sunday, uh, really important. Um, and there's a piece here. Researchers have found that more than half, 58% of 18 to 24 year old men would try not to cry in front of their other male friends. Does anyone here, Lee, boys don't cry enough, Lee Dorrance says. Absolutely, we're gonna, we'll probably talk about that when we die lively. Um, yeah, I mean, anyone here who either has young boys in their family or is a young boy or a young man, and do you feel pressure not to cry um you know is it is it humiliating is there still this sense of weakness and stigma and taboo and all this kind of stuff is it is there still this kind of awful sense that um you know it's it you know it, it's it's not right you know this andrew potato type approach to not being in touch with your emotions and that you need to just sort of toughen up and that men shouldn't be the property of women. Um, Karen Edwards, my dad would cry in private. You see, I think I think if men feel they can only cry in private, which I understand, I can relate to that massively, it becomes almost semi, it, it can almost seem even more, even darker and more difficult. I mean, I know that. It's difficult because, of course, we've been through a fair number of travails. Uh, we continue to go through them. Um, it's been a particularly challenging week. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's important. I think there's a difference between men crying and then the distress potentially that 
parents of, of either gender crying in front of their children can actually, you know, the impact that that can have on them. Um, so, but, you know, for young boys, I think the idea, if I had a son, I mean, and, and I felt that they just couldn't, you know, I, I see it even amongst some young adults now, and I, I hear boys talking about their dads, and I think, God, you don't realise, that's a huge pressure. You're really not encouraged. I mean, a lot, even though there's a sort of sense that there's more acceptance of feeling in touch with your emotions, if I, I can still see, I can think of numerous people for whom they couldn't really open up about their emotions without their dad kind of ribbing them or giving them a sort of little sort of punch in the, God, it's so hot suddenly, giving them a little punch in the arm and going, come on, come on, sort your shit out, come on, sort your shit out, all that kind of stuff. Um, but this, I, I love this, this image here. Look, this is a mural. Oh, hang on, let's pop it up. Uh, this is a mural by an artist, uh, AKSE P19 of Joy Division's Ian Curtis, who took his own life in 1980. This has been reinstated on Manchester's Star and Garter pub yesterday ahead of World Suicide Prevention Day. Obviously, Ian Curtis, who tragically took his life at an incredibly young age. Uh, Faith Goodman, there is so much pressure on young men. I'd, this story really ca captured me. What do you think of this? I don't want to die, woman pleads with NHS. Um, this is a 19-year-old girl with a rare degenerative disease who's spoken out vowing to fight NHS doctors. Who, claim she, the, who she claims want to withdraw her life support and leave her filled with opioids. Um, it's kind of similar to, uh, as they say, a case of Charlie Gard, uh, the baby's life support was withdrawn after a big legal case. But this 19-year-old this has managed to speak to uh, journalists from her hospital bed. Um, she dictated her words via a speaking valve. And she says, my da doctors are saying that because they cannot treat me, I should be filled with opioids so that I will lose consciousness and die. Imagine actually having the capacity to express that. I mean, I think the difference with the uh, baby, Charlie, um, was that, of course, we had no way of actually fully knowing what he felt. But I mean, I think, isn't the very fact that she can type this out and say this, um, proof that she should be that they shouldn't put her on opioid i mean she wants to try that you know they want to try she or she's keen to try a new there's a new sort of treatment that she could uh, she could potentially receive um she says she i find myself trapped in a medical and legal system governed by a toxic paternalism which has condemned me for wanting to live i mean she's incredibly articulate i don't want to die and it's that sort of brash brutal briskness of healthcare that says once you sort of pass a certain sort of, I don't know, official point, you need to die or something like that. Um, I just, I just, just really captures it. It's always like my worst fear is the idea that we could be trapped. You know, what's it called? Is it trapped? Is it locked in syndrome or something like that? Um, this story here is, let's have a look. This is, who, anyone here who vapes? Anyone here who, who vapes? Five million vapes a week binned. This is five. Oh, sorry, I've lost you. Um, five million vapes a week binned. Five million disposable vapes are being thrown away every week, campaigners claim. Just think of that. Not only do we not know fully the impact that these are going to have on our teens and on, 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 on us, but they're a huge scourge on pollution. They're, they're fire hazards. They're difficult to recycle. Can I just ask, who the fuck let these happen? How have we got, how have we, how have we, how have we sleepwalked to this point? It's it bizarre.
bizarre five million vapes a week binned just remarkable just remarkable um let's have a look at this now i was talking in the week and i was saying to nads what a strong response we got from you guys about vet spills and the price of vet spills and all that kind of stuff um this story is interesting vets in crisis suddenly uh you know having said look the vet the thing that's really important about what we were talking about yesterday uh i think was it yesterday yes um this idea that you know can can vets just you know the day before can vets just charge what they want don't forget most vets are working for a much bigger company that set the terms of how it works individual vets aren't responsible for this this i think really manipulative relationship between veterinary uh, services and the insurers where there's this kind of they just operate for each other with each other caught in the middle are obviously the pets and the pet owners uh Emotional um, manipulation is used massively. I was talking to someone else the other day about this, and they were like, "God, yeah, this is this is so true." But interestingly, years ago, we worked on something where I, I, I think the, the statistic came through that vet, vets, I think, is one of the professions with the highest case of mental health or depression issues because they don't necessarily individually earn a massive amount of money. They, you know, the companies might, the charging might, the insurers might. The, uh, as I say, the, the organizations for which they work for might, but the individual vets don't. And so this is a story that vet, the vets industry is in crisis. And they're saying it's a crisis similar to that seen in the NHS. Uh, the other reason they're suggesting that we have a bit of a crisis is that we now have such a boom in pet ownership. 60% of British households now have at least one pet. I suppose what maybe is at the heart of this is a bigger question about the industry of of pets in a sense i mean none of us would want to be without them but i suppose what begins to kind of come under the spotlight is a question around not whether it's right or wrong to have pets but maybe having a pet shouldn't be encouraged or seen as such a um sort of almost rites of passage thing Small local vets are being taken over by huge companies, says Faith. Good chip lollipop. Pets are a sign of a thriving society. Maybe, maybe thriving society, but all paid for on, on, on essentially on debt, uh, unfortunately. Now, this story is going to get you hot under the collar. Listen to this. Cyclist who need a child in the back is suing a father over filming it. Stick with me. A Belgian cyclist who knocked a little girl to the ground uh, has successfully sued. Get this. So this guy cycles past a child. Uh, they were walking on a snowy track. The five-year-old child and her family were walking on a snowy track in, Be- in Belgium on Christmas Day 2020. Right, stick with me. The cyclist, you can know what sort of cyclist this was, dressed in black lycra, sticks out his knee as he passed the child, sending her flying. So the cyclist sticks out his knee, hits the child, child goes flying. The father takes him to court and wins a sort of, I think it wins one euro, uh, a token sum. Uh, and uh, the cyclist got a suspended sentence. But guess what? The cyclist has sued the father of the child because immediately after it happened, the father of the child, probably in a state of high dudgeon and fury, posted the footage on social media. And the cyclist has now sought compensation and a judge has found in the cyclist's favour. 
Um, the cyclist has asked for four and a half thousand pounds because he says that his reputation has been damaged and his privacy compromised. Maybe, maybe he should have thought that before kicking a child in the back. So the father gets a euro for him kicking the child, but then the father is potentially going to be uh, hit with a four and a half thousand pound bill for posting it. Classic, classic madness. Total, total madness. Um, I was going to ask you, well, can I just quickly ask, well, where are you all at with, with old Schofield, Philip Schofield? Uh, obviously, this was the week in which the NTAs happened. The, the, the Mail have got this piece here, Phil the Outcast. As Holly returns to the TV sofa without him, Schofield has been having hours of therapy and going for long, lonely walks, anything to avoid seeing his old show. Um, we talked a lot, Nadia talked, I thought, brilliantly about how there is in, a definite sexism at work in terms of like trying to paint Holly as the the more evil person in this in this curious drama. But where, where are you all at with him now? Are you all in a sort of just let him let 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 sleeping dogs lie? Is it? Yeah. Uh, sick of hearing about him. A. I feel a bit sorry. A frog. Sorry. Uh, Julie. I feel a bit sorry for meet you. Leave the guy alone. Steph Schultz. Glad he's not presenting. Gabrielle. Bored of the Schofield story. Uh, Natasha Milchin never liked him, but feel a bit sorry for him. Lee Durham, completely forgotten about him, to be honest. Yesterday's chip paper. Ooh, brutal. Uh, Dawn Decker, so bored with the whole debacle. He just needs to go away. All right, let's push on. Um, offence. Okay, I like this title now. Let's get Puntastic. Well, Puntastic, but not, not nice, actually. Look, you can kind of see what he's obviously written. Offensive behaviour. Neighbour scrawls abuse and parrot row. Fuming neighbour hobbles next door to spray assholes on their fence due to uh, his neighbours having a squawking parrot that um, that wakes him up at 5am. Okay, so the big question here is, guys, the big question here is, before I, I'll read you some of the story, but I want you to be thinking about this. You've got a neighbour whose parrot wakes you up every morning at 5am. It's beyond intolerable. It's been going on for over 10 years. Um, and uh, he's woken up every morning and, and, and they do nothing about it. What would you do? What would you do if it was your neighbour? Um, so David Sanson, 60, stenciled the insult, then returned with black spray paint to fill it in. He added an arrow pointing to George and Patricia's semi. Uh, drivers were slowing down, says the owner of the house, saying uh, to take pictures. It was so embarrassing. Um, the couple with the parrot had paid £500 for cameras after a separate expletive appeared on their back door. Um, the neighbour admits painting the profanity. But he claims he's the victim because he's woken at 5 a.m. by the couple's parrot, Charlie. What would you do? Uh, MeTube, never understood why people would devalue their neighbourhood like that with vandalism regardless of the reason. But do you think, MeTube, that we could have a situation? OK, obviously, he shouldn't do what he's done and, and it, it's counterproductive and, and it's not going to work and it's going to ratchet things up. But if after 10 years of being woken up by a parrot, what do you do? in this intolerable situation if the parrot owner won't do any or can't do anything about it good chip lollipop i'd buy a cat uh, lexical it's a good question can you sleep train a parrot uh earplugs carla martin sadie c fed up with neighbors oh where have you gone uh i was threatened with police this week for sweeping up leaves from a drive not joking bloody hell you're joking uh, lack of sleep can drive a person mad yeah absolutely I just think, I, th I think we underestimate because sometimes if you feel you've got no choice, 
I mean, I suppose the one thing you would say to this guy is that isn't going to help the situation, is it? I mean, it's only going to, es- it's only, it's escalated, isn't it? TV, Alison, Dro- okay, so Alison Hammond, obviously she's on Bake Off, uh, but there's a piece here talking about her brummy accent. I'm fr- I was born in Birmingham. I was born in Birmingham. Um, uh, that's as much as I've got to say, really. I was born in Birmingham. Um, but my nan, who wasn't, she was Staffordshire, she... Through, I mean, my mum, Nanny Di, you would vouch for this. None of you have got Brummie accents at all, even though you grew up in Birmingham, which is quite something. And why? Because Nanny Thelma had a zero tolerance when it came to the Brummie accent. I love the Brummie accent. It, it, for me, it's one, you know, every accent in the country has character. But there's something, I used to work with a sound recorder years ago, and his, his accent was so strong, and it was so, I loved it. I loved it. Um. Yeah, Sadie C, I was born in Birmingham. I was only there until I was, how old was I, mum? Two, before we then went to Whitley Bay for about six months, nine months, and then we came to London. And then I was London for the rest of it. My nan and granddad stayed in, um, they lived in Cardington Avenue. Is that Great Bar? Is it Cardington Avenue? Great Bar? I think. But they lived there until the until I was nine. My mum my mom went to school in Birmingham and everything. Um, Alison Hammond has revealed she didn't go to drama school because they told her to drop her beloved Brummie accent. Maybe her teachers at a drama school were, more, were related to my nan. Um, but why is it? Why does the Birmingham accent, do you think, get... Why is it much more maligned, almost? It, it, it sometimes doesn't even have the, the, sort of, uh, the sort of cult status of, say, um, I don't know, a sort of Geordie accent or Liverpudlian accent. We used to say, what was it? I remember when I was very young, someone used to say at the table, Oi, Oi, I really want to go down the... I can't do it. I literally can't do it. It was driven out of me. I remember Nan used to say, who said Oi? Oi, I really fancy that. Oi. I can't do it. I literally can't do it. But I love it. I think it's a lovely accent. Uh, Hammond said her school wanted her to change her accent to RP, regarded as the standard form of spoken English. Um, Sort it. I, can't, I literally can't do, I can't do a Brummie accent. It literally, it's like I just went through a kind of Vietnam-like flashback. I had memories there of my nan's incredibly fearsome upper arms waving in the air as she smashed the table and said, who said oi? Though that wasn't to me. That was to, that was to uh, Nanny Di and her siblings. Uh, I don't know what accent I've got now, Elizabeth Gordon. I haven't got any accent. Um, no sex, please, we're British. Is not true for gay men over 70. Uh, 25% of men over 70... Have sex, have sex with men uh, with multiple partners. A study has shed light on how the number of sexual partners British people have changes as they age. Studies suggest that gay and bisexual men over 70 continue to have a sex life with multiple partners, while straight women become less sexually active after 50. This is uh, what I was mentioning to Dina. Uh, there's, uh, let me just push past how women are having less sex as they hit early 50s. Um, yeah, look, here we go. Almost half of women in their early 50s have not had sex recently. Wow. Um, Researchers surveyed more than 5,000 people in Britain asking if they've made love in the previous three weeks. Just 31% of heterosexual women aged 45 to 49 said they had. Um, And then, where's, let's just get past that. Do you think I'm 60? And then OAP men are having more sex than women. This is quite a major study from the University of East Anglia. Um, Men have more sex than women after retirement age. The study of straight men and women found the sexes were closely matched. Um, There's a simple reason for this, apparently. There's a very simple reason for this. And the simple reason is this. Men die earlier, so there are more men. 
there are more women than men over a certain age. Maybe that's why women will skew younger. I mean, who wants an older man, let's face it. So, uh, and in the middle there, you probably saw Amanda Holden, uh, who's obviously not, not part of that crowd. I'm 52, and if people still want to talk about my tits, then bring it on. Why not? People also want to do it, and she's happy. I think there's, there's something about Amanda Holden. I quite like. she's, she's incredibly ballsy, isn't she? She just says it as it is. She just kind of doesn't mind kicking it out there. Do you think I'm 60? If you think I'm hairy, would you like to lick my... Oh, sorry. Um, any MasterChef fans here? Singer from Go Compare ads now. I'm delighted for him. I'm delighted for him. Win Evans, the Welsh tenor who's been singing for his supper in Go Compare adverts since 2009. But can I just say, can I just say, those adverts drive me fucking mad. I don't know. I don't know if it's working as an hour. Oh, Nanny Dye. Everyone send their love to Nanny Dye. She's in the room. Nanny Dye's in the room. Thanks so much for kind messages. Missing you all. Oh, there you are, Mum. Look, Mum. I can do this. Look, I can do this. I'm going to do it just for you today. Look. Woo! Nanny Dye. Thanks so much, guys, for kind message. Missing you all. Yeah. Can't wait to see you soon, Ma. Um, lots of love in the room. Lots of love in the room. Um, yeah, I'm chuffed for him. He seems like a lovely guy. It's got nothing to do with him. I, but my God, every time that advert comes on, I want to punch myself so hard in the face, it breaks my own jaw. I know that's, that, that might be dramatic, but it, oh my, I mean, hell, ha when it comes on, I will literally fly across the room in, a, in an insane rugby tackle to wrestle the remote control, knowing that even once I've got control of the remote, the advert will be over. I need to extract plasma from my body it makes me that cross but i'm so i'm really pleased for him so there you go he's, he's, he's the new uh, celebrity master chef winner wasp death crash this was awful this is absolutely awful and this is one this is every driver's worst nightmare every driver's worst nightmare a woman died following a head-on crash when a driver not the one who died lost control after being stung twice on the leg by a wasp the woman who was stung uh, looked down for two seconds, two seconds. And then this awful, awful, awful collision happened. Two seconds. Oh, fugitive, the fugitive who's escaped has been arrested. I have to say that story just, I kind of knew who it was going to be. I, I don't know why it didn't, it didn't, not that it's about it capturing you, but I just thought, okay, I don't know. Um, Wasp death crash, woman 85 killed after, it's just awful. It's just another reminder and, and a real reminder as to not using your phone. But I mean, the, those times when a, a wasp has been in the car, when there's been a wasp in the car, you're like, oh my God, everyone goes into a sort of batshit crazy moment. And in, in this instance, another woman who was a carer in the inc oncoming car, the car that she hit, um, tragically died. Uh, Reese Roberts, I got stung by a wasp recently when I was in Italy. It had an ice cream in my other hand, so to quote Taylor Swift, I had to shake it off, shake it off. Um, good news about the future. It's absolutely, of course, it's absolutely brilliant news about the fugitive. We don't want a fugitive running around, but um, I kind of knew in this day and age, if you can't catch a fugitive that you've seen and you've got photos, I mean, what, what's the world coming to? Um, so yeah, um, that's just tragic, isn't it? Holly, now nah, this is interesting. Hollyoaks is moving to E4 and YouTube. This for me is an interesting moment. 
I know there's a lot of talk about soap operas being in the doldrums and all that kind of stuff. I think there's, there's always going to be a market for, for, for soap operas. Um, but I think where they're watched and where they're kind of consumed, it's interesting. It's interesting, once again, that YouTube and linear broadcasters are having to embrace the fact that life is changing and where people go to. For, I mean, interestingly, BAFTA have, I think they've, I saw somewhere, they've stopped the whole uh, Children's BAFTAs Awards um, because there's just not enough content and not enough channels and not enough stuff. But this Hollyoaks moving to E4 and YouTube in a reshuffle, Channel 4 has announced a major shakeup with episodes now set to be broadcast or dropped um, on, posted on YouTube. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you know, if there's any doubt for anyone that the, the paradigm, that the broadcast landscape or the way in which content is made and uh, you're going to see something that, We've been working on with Lee Durant, uh, Lee Durant, sorry, Lee, uh, with Lee Peart. You know, the, the, there are different different ways and different means of doing things these days, and all of them should be embraced. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. Any Hollyoaks fans here? Any? Any? I, I, the last time I saw Hollyoaks, I couldn't. I, I was. I don't know. It was. I don't know. Don't call Rule Britannia a racist chant. Okay, guys, is Rule Britannia racist? Discuss. This is the song. You know, Rule Britannia, Britannia, rule away. So hot. Um, yeah, Elliot Gonzalez. Most of the viewing for Hollyoaks comes from online in E4. Anyway, so it makes sense. It's the youngest soap. Um, yeah, I mean, I think most soaps could end up broadcasting on both, if I'm honest. I, I think they'll be kind of simul broadcast. I think it's the way to keep, 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 keep them alive. Is Rule Britannia racist? I mean, it comes out of uh, sort of... It's the song at the end of the proms, isn't it, where everyone's waving their flags. I mean, I have to confess, I've never understood that. I, whenever I saw those last sort of images of the proms, and I think, I like, you know, don't get me wrong, I like classical music. I love lots of classical music. Um, I never understood what the association was between classical music and then right at the end of these proms, this great sort of celebration of music, you had this kind of really odd moment of kind of like Union Jacks waving everywhere and Rule Britannia. Um, personally, I think it's become associated with jingoism and all that kind of stuff. Last night at the proms, absolutely. Uh, me too, personally, I can't stand pomp and ceremony. It's our national anthem, though, says Oceanic Th uh, Therapy, London. Um, it's, um, yeah, rule. I think the rule word is it, isn't it? And Britannia, empire, all that malarkey. I don't know. Uh, uh, let's have a look. Uh, Reese, as a black person, I wouldn't be rushing to sing that anthem. No, I don't blame you. Um, it's horrible. Someone else said there. I hate flags. All that song, Carla Martin. You know what, Carla? I hate flags too. I think there's something about flag waving that's a bit weird. I don't know. I mean, I, you don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I mean, even like with football, and I used to sort of, I don't know. I just find it all a bit weird. I, I suppose there's no problem with it as long as you're not saying I'm better than you. But you can't help but feel Daniel Khalif caught by police four days after terrorists escaped. There you go. He's been caught which is all good. This story is funny. Stephen King, the horror writer, a little bit too much Monica nearly cost Stephen King his life. Um, a little bit of Monica in my life. This is Stephen King. He of every conceivable um, horror film that's ever been made. He states that uh, his constant playing of uh, the 1990s hit Mambo number no. five nearly led to divorce. He said he played the song so much at one point that his wife, Tabitha, threatened to divorce him. Oh, yeah, big time, says Stephen King. My wife threatened to divorce me. I played that a lot. I had the dance mix. Uh, oh, God. The, uh, it was a huge hit for German singer Lou Beger, Beger in 1999. 
It's been voted as one of the most annoying songs ever. Guess what the other most, two, two more most annoying songs are. God, it's 33 degrees here, guys. Um, guess what the two other most annoying songs were, are, or have been voted. Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't you remember that over that video? Everyone got really excited about acapella. They started whacking themselves on the throat and in the chest. Playing themselves like an instrument. Um, and did I say, don't worry, be happy, and Macarena. Oh, please don't get me again into Macarena. Oh, my God, Macarena. Macarena. Oh, the Macarena. Please, no. Um, what other little stories have we got here as we as we ride to a to a conclusion? Um, critics paid off to boost Rotten Films, uh, Rotten Films online rating. This is the suggestion that Daisy Ridley's uh, shaky film Ophelia, some Rotten Tomatoes critics were offered 50 quid each to slightly improve their review. Raises a bigger question, film fans. How much should we really pay credence to Rotten Tomatoes? And in fact, how much should we pay credence to huge numbers of film critics? Let's face it, sometimes they say stuff's good when it isn't, and you wonder why. Um, look at this, Jamie Oliver with his Dear, dear son, uh, Buddy. Imagine being called Buddy. It's like being called Mate. I mean, I suppose, you know, I suppose really if you're the son of Jamie Oliver, you've got to thank your lucky stars you weren't called Ghibli Jobbly or, well, no, what was it? Bish Bash Bosh. Imagine if his three kids were called Bish Bash Bosh. Anyway, this is Buddy Oliver. Buddy. Guess what? Buddy has. He's got his own cookery show. Young Oliver is latest in line of cooks with famous parents to start in own TV show. I've got no problem with that if he's any good. Yeah, I think it's yet further proof that, you know, um, keep it in a family and all that kind of stuff. Wish him good luck. Any Michael Bublé fans here? I can't say I am, but then I don't know his music. So I wouldn't know. I'm not, I'm not big, for, big on crooners. He's a crooner, right? Is he a crooner? How about being called Guy? Mate. All right, mate. Mate. Godzilla streaming series arrives in November. I love Godzilla. Me too. Do you? Why am I not getting about Godzilla? I, for me, God, sorry, sidebar, Godzilla feels like a walking turd with a tail. It never feels particularly threatening. And sometimes when he breathes fire, it's like a walking turd after a night of chili. Anyway, my, any Michael Bublé fans? I, I, Michael Bublé, as the sun says, star is to do as does Christmas TV adverts. That means the signs of Christmas. Oh, my God, don't even talk to me about that. Jesus. Um, star to do, as does Christmas TV adverts. Top, top Christmas crooner Michael Bublé is to appear as a checkout worker in Asda's festive festive adverts. Walking turd with a tail. That's what Godzilla is, me too. But sorry, I, do you know what I mean? I want to like Godzilla. But even the action figures of a Godzilla, they can't move much. He's not, he's, yeah. Oh, I like this story. Oh, bear with me one sec. Have a read of that and see what you think it is. Challenge Annika. Challenge Annika. Look at her there. You see that? Annika's remains to be used in paintings. What do you think of that, guys? Annika, Annika Rice. Do you remember Challenge Annika? 
she's going to be, oh, sorry, I've done it again. Uh, Annika's remains to be used in paintings. Annika Rice says she's arranged for her ashes to be used in paintings when she dies because she doesn't want to be left in the garage in a box. Fair dues. Um, she's actually asked, Mum, Nanny Dyer, you'll like this. Uh, she's actually asked Maggie Hambling. If you don't know Maggie Hambling, she's a fantastic artist. Do check out her work. Uh, she's asked Maggie Hambling uh, if she will use paint. But she wants the paint to be kind of lumpy and I want to be put in it so that when you look at the painting and say, there's Annika. Is Annika up there? Treasure hunt. All that kind of stuff. Uh, Beer Buzz. Daily Star. Almost becoming... The Daily Star, I think, is beginning to get about the Asian Hornet like Piers Morgan is about Meghan Meghan Markle. It's a curious one. I think The Daily Star's really got... I think someone at the Daily Star has got clear Asian Hornet phobia. Has anyone here seen an Asian Hornet? Everybody's banging on about them. Have anyone seen them? I haven't seen them. This is Beer Buzz. Stinging pest sent, set to end our fun in the sun. So as we have our last minute bit of heat, these, these bastard Asian hornets apparently have got a taste for beer. So watch your pint, but also they're going to get sozzled and drunk. And in their sort of dreary dopiness, they're going to fly around and sting you in your face. Now, last night, there was a very funny moment. I think home time had just gone up. Um, and I was running around the kitchen holding aloft, actually, a, um, uh, what do you call them? A yoga cube, you know, one of those soft cubes to try and kill a really dopey bee. And that bee just wouldn't, wouldn't stop buzzing around. It was bloody annoying. It's Wales nice. This is a picturesque cathedral city, tops pole of UK's favourite inland tourist spots. Do you live near any, any, any of these? Uh, Gabrielle, home time vlog was great, but I never want to attempt to build any pack furniture again. I felt your pain. It was agony. Uh, top 10 destinations. Wells, Somerset, uh, Avebury, beautiful. Avebury, the rocks. Corfe Castle, beautiful. Uh, Port Sunlight, Grasmere, 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 Lavenham, Hlanglochard, Gollum, Ludlow, Stamford. God, I haven't heard of these places, but Wells, Somerset is, is top. Here's some photos. Really rather lovely photo there of uh, Taika Waititi and Rita Ora in Venice. Beautiful, beautiful. I don't know why, just, just fancied showing that. Um, there's an image taken of Curly Cooks from the future as they go on the rampage. These are two octogenarian grandmothers who've taken the trip of a lifetime. They're going around the world in 80 days at the age of 81. How fabulosity is that? Hey, eh? Look at that. Dina on the left. Right, rather, Nadia on the on the left. Uh, image, first image really seen of Freddie Flintoff working with the England cricket team uh, as he still recovers from the facial injuries he received during a crash. I can't believe. Are these still the injuries from from December? Was this just we've seen a first photo? That's hardcore. Jesus, I didn't realise how bad that was. And finally. Uh, oh, no, not finally. Uh, that's Kylie Minogue. What do we think of Kylie Minogue's red hair? Are we are we rocking that? Do we dig the red hair? Uh, and finally, um, let's check out this really sweet image to end. If you're listening on podcast, you'll have to check it out later. Look at him. What a sweetie. A little seal basking on the sand at Horsey Beach in Norfolk. Uh, having a chuckle. Having a, little, a, a wee little chuckle. That's sweet. What a lovely. And is anyone going to be watching this? Is anyone going to be watching the new Love Island spin-off for single parents? It sounds quite 
I thought it was going to be completely crazed madness, but it sounds quite civilised, which is terrible, isn't it? You sort of think, okay, that's probably very sensible and it's probably meaningful, but why? Uh, And we will be reviewing um, episode three and episode four together of The Woman in the Wall on Sunday night. So we haven't stopped that. We'll just uh, be doing that, uh, yeah, Sunday night, episode three and episode four. We haven't seen episode three yet, so we're going to watch those two. Um, So uh, uh, Francesca Bastos, I'm still on a quest to convince you to watch Ted Lasso. I will try again. I will try again. I enjoyed it more than Nads, but uh, I will try again. Anyway, we are now going to end the stream. Some of you said it sometimes ends mid-talk. That's because we just hate those pause, those awkward moments at the end where we pause. But we will do the awkward moment at the end just for you so you don't miss anything. So here we go. We're ending the stream now.